Today's episode is sponsored by Castlescape. In Castlescape, players assume the roles of guildmasters who have been contracted to build a magnificent castle for their king. However, only one guild will ultimately receive the reward for building it. So you must out-recruit, out-build, and out-maneuver all other guilds to claim renown. Castlescape is a highly strategic deck-building area control game for 2-4 players that is easy to learn but difficult to master. It features fun, tactile elements, and each game offers a depth of strategy that always leaves you wanting to try something new next game. So be sure to check out Castlescape on Kickstarter right now. And if you're looking for a partner to help you with marketing, I recommend you reach out to Andrew Lowen at Next Level Web. In the last year, Andrew and his company have helped board game creators raise more than $2 million on Kickstarter, and 91% of those campaigns funded in the first 24 hours, and 74% of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They have a system that works and offer solutions ranging from helping you build ads for your project all the way to fully managing your marketing campaign. So if you're looking for a reliable marketing partner for your upcoming campaign, visit nextlevelweb.com kickstarter and fill out a contact form. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about deck building, but we're talking about more than that. We're talking about what does it look like to design a game that uses deck building as the core mechanism, but then you add some really cool other stuff on top of it to make it more interesting, make it more complicated, make it more of an experience, all of that kind of thing. And we're talking to Josh Horsley from Praetorian Board Games. Josh, welcome to the show. Hey, Gabe. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be on here. I'm a longtime listener, and this is uh, this is really fun to be able to come on. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And absolutely, I'm really excited to have you here. This is something, you know, I've talked about deck builders on the show in the past, uh, but I got to be honest, they are not my favorite type of game. I, I can't think of any deck builders that I'm like, ooh, I love that game. I, I really enjoy it. And I think part of it is because I often want more. I want more than just cards i want to do something i want to feel like an epic <laughs> yep. hero or you know something like that Absolutely. and a lot of deck building games are just playing cards and you, know, you get to be really clever and you know it, it provides some really cool design space but me personally I, I like more and so that's what we're talking about today is how to take a deck building experience and add some cool stuff to it and you've got a really interesting game called castlescape that uh, is on kickstarter right now and you've been working on this this idea for a while and there's lots of really really interesting really good games out on the marketplace that do this very well and so i want to dive into those in just a second. But before we get into the topic, who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have been a gamer since, man, I was probably three or four years old, started on video games. Um, and then by the time I was probably six or seven, I really started looking at board games. Um, I would definitely annoy my family asking them to play uh, Monopoly with me. I know. Monopoly, the terrible game. But um, back then, that was basically all I knew. Uh, by the time I was six or seven, I uh, had found a game of Risk, and I would set up all the little miniatures and kind of make up my own rules and um, kind of just line them up for military formations and have fun with that. Um, after that, probably 10 or 12, I uh, one of my friends bought uh, this crazy new board game called Settlers of Catan. And uh, I played that, played it a number of times. The, they got all the expansions. It was, it was a blast. And by the time I was probably 14 or 15, I was really getting heavier into the hobby. Um, I first fell in love with uh, war games. Um, your kind of Axis and Allies types, which I know uh, get a bad rap these days. Um, not everybody loves a war game. Um, but uh, kind of fell in love with that. And then um, been playing games ever since. Um, I really got into board game design when I was, uh, let's see, about 2016. Uh, so about five years ago now. Um, and I really just wanted to make a game about building a castle. Um, so that's kind of what I did. Um, and uh, here we are almost uh, well, four and a half, almost five years later. And uh, finally about to get to see it uh, come to Kickstarter here. So um, that's kind of my, my little life road there. 
Very cool. And so let's get into the topic, talking about deck building and more. But wait, there's more. Billy Mays here, you know, adding on to the deck building experience. And so let's get a good working definition, first of all, of what deck building is in general. And then tell me about like what we're really talking about here as far as adding more to that mechanism. Yeah, absolutely. So deck building is um, generally, uh, some some people, and I just want to differentiate this, some people think of a deck builder as like, um, Pokemon or any collectible card game. And that's not really what we're talking about here. Deck builder in the sense that we're talking about here um, is usually you start with a really small, thin deck. And then over the course of the game, you purchase cards that add to that deck. They get shuffled in or somehow otherwise added to your hand. And then you can use those to make your deck more powerful as the game goes on and ultimately get some cool combos in, um, do some really fun things. And by the end of the game, hopefully you feel like you've built a really fun engine out of your deck. Um, And then you can use it to do uh, basically try and win the game. Um, When we're talking about uh, deck builder and more, um, what I really tried to do and what I've really um, kind of come to love out of this type of game is I tried to um, marry some different aspects of uh, different games and test them out uh, and kind of like combine them. So when you look at, uh, for instance, Dominion is like your your standard deck builder. It's just buy cards, add them to your deck, you, you build it and you go from there. Um, I wanted to take that feeling, but I also wanted to do something additional with it. So um, that's kind of uh, what we did. And yeah, if you have some specific questions, Gabe, I'd love to dive into those. Yeah, for sure. I want to dive into some examples uh, really quick, but if, I feel like adding more a lot of times looks like adding a board. It looks like adding some extra pieces. You know, there are various ways that some games ha- have uh, tried to add more so that deck building is really just a mechanism part of a much bigger game. And so, you know, in your in your game playing, what are what have been some of the uh, favorite games that have this kind of deck building with a little extra uh, built in? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'd say one of the early ones that I really loved was Clank. Um, Clank kind of broke the mold of deck building uh, when it came out, at least in my mind and uh, the minds of a lot of my friends. Um, It was a game where, yeah, you had a deck, you had some cards, but you also had a board where you were trying to venture down into a dungeon and um, get some... Uh, get some relics, get some like special items, and then get out before the the dragon finds you and kills you because you made too much noise. Um, so they they took deck building, they took that awesome kind of like um, engine building aspect, and then they put it onto a game board so that you could physically see what you're doing. Um, and that's that's kind of like the the and more. You actually get more of an experience out of it than just building a deck and seeing numbers change or seeing different cards come out of your deck. Um, another one that I've really loved uh, lately is Dune Imperium, which came out not too long ago. Um, I got that game not really knowing what to expect. I'd heard some pretty good reviews about it, um, but I, I played it and uh, it honestly, it blew me away. Um, it takes deck building and it takes worker placement, which normally... Um, like, so placing guys onto spaces to collect resources, to do things like that. Normally I wouldn't have expected that to be, um, a really, uh, good combination. And then beyond that, it even adds additional resources. It really marries into the theme very well, um, of, uh, the Dune universe. If you have, uh, kind of any knowledge of it. Um, and then they take that, they put a board out there. You have, um, pretty epic battles, you fight over cities, you uh, try to collect enough water so that you can do what you need, um, collect spice, which is uh, the one of the currencies of the game. And um, so you you really take all these different things, you're collecting things, you're battling, you're, you're really um, getting into it and feeling the theme a lot more, in my opinion. Uh, so that's, that's really why I wanted to create a game that was deck building plus. I really wanted to give you a visual representation and just kind of a, a much better understanding of what you're doing. Very cool. It seems like there are so many cool things left to be explored using this design avenue, I guess it might be a good way to say it, of just trying to figure out, okay, I've got this really good mechanism. It works really, really well. There's been a bunch of games that have come out that prove that this works really well. They've done very well on the marketplace. And now what else can we do? How can we approach it from a new angle? How can we add to it? How can we make 
this this mechanism that a lot of times is the core. It's the main thing going on in a game. How do we make that part of the game? And we add in some other interesting elements to create a certain experience. I'm going to talk about uh, experience in a second, but first, a couple examples that come to my mind. Uh, honestly, the first one is kind of the original deck building game before Dominion. It's a, a game based on the StarCraft video game that came out years and years and years ago where deck building was just this kind of small little mechanism and it didn't exist like we think of it today but uh, it existed where you if i remember correctly basically when you were building structures or deploying units and things like that you would take the card and, and put them into a discard pile and then effectively it would simulate how long it took for the structure or the unit to be usable and it had this little deck building mechanism and it was just a tiny little part of this epic five-hour experience game. It's not a game I would recommend. I wouldn't say that that game is particularly fun, uh, but it is uh, interesting. It may be worth playing once if you don't mind spending hundreds of dollars to find it on eBay. Uh, It's definitely out of print. But that was kind of the original game that that used this idea. And then also Trains. So Trains effectively looked at Dominion. They're like, wow, Dominion is really good. What if we copy every single aspect of it and then add 5%? And that's what they did. Uh, Even some of the cards, the wording and the language is almost verbatim of what it is in Dominion, but they added a board and you were building these train lines and all these routes from different cities. And you had a couple different um, extra little tiny mechanism things going on that they added in the game, added a few different kinds of cards. And that was kind of the first game I remember that was very similar to like what we think of now as, as deck building, but then added more, added a board, added some tokens, added some other things to think about. And so I, I think that that definitely is one worth uh, checking out. And uh, I think it's out of print, but it's still, you probably find it for really uh, p- pretty reasonable online. And so those are, again, those are four games, I think I said four, uh, yep. worth looking into if you are a designer thinking about, well, how do I design one of these games that's more than just Dominion? It, it's adding a little bit extra to it. And so a lot of these games are very popular. What do you, why do you think that is? What do you think uh, it, it is about these games that draws in gamers? I mean, Clank has had so many like new versions and, and expansions and all that stuff. Like, obviously, it's doing well in the marketplace. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I, I think that a lot of that um, has to do with, uh, I don't know. So the, the, the big thing about deck builders is it's really satisfying to start with almost nothing. And by the end of the game, you have this thing that you've really created. Um, like like most, uh, I, I would classify as a deck builder as almost an engine builder in a way. Um, it's got some similarities. And um, I would say it's really, really exciting to start with nothing, get to the end of the game, and you have you can look and it's like, oh, I bought these cards. Um, those really helped me do this specific thing. But oh, if I just purchased that one card that I thought I might need, but I didn't want to spend the gold on it at that time, if I just purchased it then, man, I could have done so many more things. It would have been so much better. Um, it really kind of brings out those cool discussions. Um, like after you're done playing the game, it's like, if only I had done this one little thing different, or man, I won because I did this one really cool thing and um everyone else can kind of just like chime in and it creates this really really deep experience when you're playing a game as opposed to um and i don't i don't want to uh throw shade on anything that um isn't a deck builder but i think it's one of the really cool aspects of a deck builder that really can engross you in in building this thing that is absolutely yours and by the end of the game it is different from everyone else's yeah, I definitely agree. I think it gives players the opportunity to feel clever. They get to feel smart when they pull off some crazy combo that earns them a bunch of points or it takes them from third place to winning because they, they figured out a way to get all these cards synergized. And then things came up just in just the right way. So you also get that interesting luck-based thing because you're not yep. entirely sure which card is going to come up next. And you've built the deck hoping that these things work out, but you're not sure. And so you know you also get that kind of moment of, yes, everything worked out, and you get that elation that goes with it. Uh, and I think, like you're saying, you get the opportunity to build something, to go from nothing. And in a lot of cases, you go from starting with the exact same cards as everybody else. And then you get to the end of the game. And if you've won, well, that means you figured out how to build that engine better than the other people at the table. Everybody had the same starting line and you crossed the finish line first. And I think that's just a really good feeling uh, for people. Uh, I think also, and we'll get into this a little bit more uh, in a minute, is this mechanism really lends itself to making sense there are certain experiences, certain games where the idea of buying something or taking something into 
you know, in, putting it in front of you and then putting it in a discard pile and then you have to wait for it to show up again later. It just makes sense for a lot of things. If you're building something, if you're deploying something that takes a while for it to be trained or for it to be almost built. like a cooldown. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Or a cooldown, like you're saying, you know, uh, Eon's End, where you use your cards as spells and abilities and things like that. And then you have to wait, just like you would in D&D or some other RPG game. You have to wait a little bit for it to cool down and you to be able to use it again. And it just makes sense. And so I feel like this mechanism is very intuitive for a lot of games and experiences. Uh, but before we get a little bit deeper into experience and, and making sense, why design one of these? You mentioned a little bit what kind of drew you personally towards this. So tell me a little bit more about that. And then in general, why should people listening to the show, game designers overall, think about designing a game that uses deck building, but then add some cool stuff to it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, first, I'd just love to put uh, a small disclaimer on this. Um, designing a deck builder is very difficult. Um, I have heard on your show, Gabe, multiple times, do not design a deck builder as your first game. I will, even though I decided kind of to do that uh, as my first game, I would say unless you are up for a huge challenge, probably not the best idea for your first game to design. Um, but uh, what really kind of drew me to it was I I personally love a big challenge. So um, I really enjoyed um, figuring out just an engine that players could kind of interact with. Um for Castlescape specifically, I wanted to build a castle and I wanted these little 3D tokens that represent castle walls and pl to place them on an actual game board. And when I was going through and I was designing my game, I was looking back at some of the older ones, um, in this case, Dominion specifically. And I was looking at, okay, there's, there's these cards that you have to buy. And these exist in most deck builders. Um, there's these cards that you buy that just go into your deck and they make it a dead deck. So basically like you buy things that are cool, like money. So you can buy more cards. You get things that give you movement or skills or attack or healing, whatever the case may be. But um, most games have just a, this is a card that gives you points and it does nothing else. And I really wanted to take that whole, I'll call it a feel bad experience because whenever you draw one of those cards, you kind of feel bad, like, oh, I'm not going to get to do anything with this this turn. I wanted to take those and actually do something with them, but that um, wouldn't just kind of uh, roll the game away or like give the game away to someone who was already in the lead. So I took a lot of those kind of things that um, just would normally give you points, and I assigned cards uh, that would build walls for this castle to those cards. So now instead of just oh, um, I bought a duchy or I bought an estate and it's going to give me X points at the end of the game. You actually have to kind of build that and get those points by outthinking your opponent. So that's that's one of the the real kind of um, draws that, that pulled me in. I wanted to create that experience where there wasn't really a, a feel-bad mechanic while you're playing, um, but that it was still balanced and still fun and exciting for the players. Very cool. And... Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it also offers a lot of different avenues to be explored. And now let's go back and talk about why not. Now, I have personally stated several times on the show, like you just said, don't do a deck builder first. I know it's <laughs> exciting. I know it draws people in. A lot of people find the hobby through deck building games or at least through like TCGs, Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, things like that. And they go, oh, this is really interesting. And then they typically want to design things that they love. And if you were brought into the hobby through those kinds of games, a lot of times you want to design one, but they are absolute gigantic projects, uh, tons of cards, tons of different things to think about, tons of playtesting, tons of balance. And so I would say, feel free to do it early, but don't do it first because you might get discouraged. You might get overwhelmed, do something a little bit smaller or, or do like an 18 card deck builder or something smaller where you have to kind of figure things out. And so based on your personal experience, like going through the trial by fire, what would be some of the reasons, not necessarily for someone to not do it, and, and I don't want to just slam down that and say, don't ever do this, but just things to be aware of, things to think about that are going to be obstacles, especially early on in your designing career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I would like to echo exactly what you just said. Uh, it is a monstrous challenge uh, to design a deck builder, um, especially as your first game, because um, the first time you're going through stuff, you you don't really understand. I, I see questions all the time on on uh, forums and on on board game design lab where people are like, "Okay, how do I assign a value to these cards, or how do I 
how do I make my market make sense for my game? And when you have a deck builder, um, what really happens is all those problems are magnified tenfold because all the cards have to interact with each other. They have to have a similar value. They have to um, do things a different way. You have to make sure that certain cards, if players purchase them, aren't just going to make their decks overpowered. Um, it's it's a huge balancing act when you're trying to design and keep everything in that finite system of um, here's here's my deck, here's my market, um, purchasing cards, adding them to my, to my deck. And uh, you really have to keep that um, in mind. Um, on top of that, you also mentioned playtesting. Playtesting is a humongous part of this. Because there are so many variations, because there are so many potentially game-breaking things, you have to test everything a lot. Um, I know some people feel like after 20, 30, 40, maybe even 50 playtests of their game, their game's pretty good. Um, it's, it's great. Um, and uh, they're like, okay, we might, we might tweak a few things, but we're ready to go to Kickstarter now. Um, I am probably around 200 actual playtests in, and that does not count the time that I sat down by myself, staring at my screen, staring at my cards, um, trying to find ways to break them, trying to find ways to make them more balanced. Uh, it is a huge investment of time. Uh, like I said, I started designing back in 2016, and I started with this game. Um, it took about 10 or 15, maybe 20 playtests to, to decide I wanted to do a deck builder. Since then, it's been about 180 different playtests trying to refine and adapt that deck builder um, the best way I can. And that also doesn't account for anyone else who has played my game uh, on my behalf. That's just playtests where I personally sat in there. Um, so huge time commitment. Um, it's, it is very fun and it's fun to see people break the game and you're like, huh, never thought of that before. But keep that in mind. So yeah, ultimately, uh, just to give you an idea, I'd say I have spent um, something like, so been designing the game four and a half years. I started taking it really seriously about two, two and a half years ago um, when I started to design it to uh, pitch to publishers. And um, it has taken just an exceptional amount of time, thought and effort and hours spent in front of the computer. Uh, my, my poor wife, she, uh, she has, uh, ideas of like dabbling in board game design, um, cause I, I encourage it and it's, it's fun and exciting, but she's seen how much I effort I've put into this game and she is scared to design her own because she doesn't want to have that same sort of, um, monumental task to it. Yeah, absolutely. And in the same way that as my son, he's two years old right now and he's already kind of getting into sports and us throwing the ball around and doing different things in the same way that I wouldn't encourage him to go and play basketball or football right now, like in an actual game because he hasn't developed yet. That would be my, my caution as a game designer early on getting into this. You, you might just not have the skill set necessary yet to do this effectively or to do it in a way that's not going to be overwhelming or really frustrating. So that would be my my main uh, kind of safeguard as far as all of this goes. Like you, you might now at the same time, you might. Maybe you've played a ton of Magic the Gathering or a ton of these games and you really understand how the math works and all this stuff. Maybe so. But at the same time, you might just not have the the skill set yet. And I'm I'm actually working on a game right now that I started on, kind of like you. It was like five, four or five years ago. And when I first designed it, it was so big and the scope was just so enormous. I just didn't have the skills to create it well. And so I put it on uh, the shelf for a while. And then, I don't know, maybe a year or so or so ago, um, I had an idea for how to fix it, how to make it work. Because now after designing games for years and years and years, I had developed the skill set to be able to make the game work. And it's been my, my main project for a while. And so that might also be the case where you have a really good idea. Maybe it is something that is going to be a good game. It's going to stand out in the marketplace as a product, but maybe you're just not quite there yet as a designer to pull it off. And a deck builder is very difficult to pull off unless you're just going to do Star Realms with a twist, Legendary with a twist, Dominion, but kind of different. I mean, there's a lot of those games out there. And so where you're just basically copying what someone else has already figured out and then you're adding a board. <laughs> like that's possible, <laughs> sure. But if you're wanting to do something that really stands out, it really is different. It's a massive uh, undertaking. But speaking of, of TCGs, is that another thing you think draws people in? A lot of people came into gaming through magic, through Pokemon, and they love that whole aspect of things of building the deck and feeling clever and feeling better and smarter than your opponent. 
But now a deck building game kind of puts it all in one box where you're not going out and having to buy packs for $3 every single time, you know, going every Thursday night and buying a bunch of new packs and hoping you get a good thing. But now it's all in one big box. Do you think that also kind of plays into the market enjoying these kinds of games? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, so uh, if you ask somebody what a deck builder is, they will probably think it's a TCG off the bat. Um, they'll they'll think, oh, do you mean like uh, like Magic or like Pokemon or like Yu-Gi-Oh, something like that, where you're you're constructing a deck. And um, I think that those games have a huge draw and a huge audience of people that are like, wow, all these really cool mechanics that allow me to combo things in really specific, interesting ways. Um, and the fact that you don't have to spend hundreds or thousands of dollars building a deck for Magic is a <laughs> is a huge bonus. I can buy this whole game for fifty bucks and or sixty bucks, and it's done. Like that's that's it. And then from there, you can buy expansions and everything. I think Dominion has something like twenty or thirty expansions at this point. But um, it's it's a very low cost of entry, but also a huge kind of like uh payoff in the sense that you still get that that experience that you're looking for and i think it's a, it's more accessible as well um when you look at um magic or you look at a lot of tcgs um you have to know the game so well i would probably say until you've played maybe 3 or 400 games of um that type of game um, in that specific game itself. So like until you've played three or 400 games of Magic, you probably don't even really know what the cards can all do. You don't know how they can interact with each other. You don't know what all the keywords mean. But yeah, ultimately the the idea that you have all of these different things, all these different um, keywords really kind of just feeds in in a fun way, but you get all that ex experience in the smaller box. Yeah, for sure. There are a lot of people out there that love the experience, but have no desire to spend a fortune chasing after all the cards that are going to make you competitive. They're going to make the game really, really fun. They're going to really uh, increase the experience. And also just the complication of it. If you were to take the rules of Magic the Gathering and put them into a single rule book, it would be a thousand pages long. It would be a massive tome of rules and regulations and edge cases and all this stuff because there's now at this point so many cards, so many mechanisms, so many things to think about and figure out and combos and things like that. It's it's massive. Or you could get one of these kinds of games that we're talking about, deck builders or deck builders plus more, and it's like a ten page rule book, a fifteen page rule book, and all the rules are right here. And unless there's an expansion that comes out, this is everything. You don't have to worry about any extra stuff to think about, combos to make, and so it's just a lot smaller like mental load to deal with as far as getting to, to know the game understanding it and then spending money on it and at the same time with what we're talking about you also get to add a little bit extra so there's lots of people i think out there like me who like the idea of this but they want a little bit extra they don't want it to just be cards and so adding a board adding some other things to think about some extra little complications extra mechanisms gives those kind of players a little bit more to think about. And so, yeah, I think there's lots of reasons uh, why people are drawn to these and why they're worth designing. I think there's lots of space left to uh, left to be explored. And so let's get into a little bit more of the, the nitty gritty. Let's talk about currency. You know, a lot of these games, they have one currency, whether it's gold or influence or power or something like that. So, you know, others, they have two. And, but at the same time, some, some games have more than that. So tell me about figuring out like how many currencies to use in the game, to buy more cards, to do actions, things like that. Tell me what your experience has been, what you've seen other games do really well. Yeah, absolutely. So if you look at, um, let's, let's just take a few of these uh, games that I know well. I'll, I'll talk first about Clank, then I'll go to Dune Imperium, and then we can talk about what I did in Castlescape. So what I really like about Clank is that it gives you currency um, but it does it in a way that you don't really have to kind of um, do any record keeping. Um, what you really have to keep in mind when you're designing a game is that all of everything you do, every kind of um, additional thing that players keep that they have to count from turn to turn, it all goes into the mental load. And the higher the mental load, some players like that. But when you kind of are trying to reach a broader audience of people, not everyone can handle it if you've got 10 different currencies going on in your game, Right. Um, so my, at least my experience is use the fewest you can that still add a lot to the game without overloading people. So Clank doesn't really have much record keeping at all. It's like you've got fight or like uh, attack power, you've got movement and you've got buying power. So technically I'd say there's, there's three resources in the game, 
but it's use it or lose it. So if you don't use it in your turn, it's it's just gone. Um, you can't you can't save it up for future turns. There's nothing to count between turns, that sort of thing. Um, when you look at a game more like Dune Imperium, you have the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, Dune, uh, however, does it in a really clean, um, exciting way. So basically, they take uh, your basic deck builder where you've got the ability to purchase things. Um, so you've, so you've got your, your gold equivalent, I believe it's, uh, influence in that game. It might be a different term, but influence is kind of the, what, what I recall it being. Um, you've got the spice, which is like a super valuable currency. You have the lesser currency, which I believe is called Solari. And then you also have water, which is kind of like a prerequisite for doing certain types of actions. Um, but what they were able to do is they were able to make it all be really thematic in the sense that everything you do with those makes sense to do with them. So if you're going to go traverse on the planet of Arrakis or Dune, um, you have to kind of take water with you to go on that type of mission with your person. Um, in addition to those uh, resources, you also have workers. So like a worker placement type of thing. And you send those workers to that place you spend those resources or you get resources based on what you're doing with that worker. And then those can kind of feed into future actions. Um, so what I really love about that is that they found a way to imbue it so much with theme that it didn't seem um, overwhelming. Uh, what a lot of uh, my first attempts with Castlescape were is it was just an overwhelming amount of information. And I had to really find ways to pull that back. Um, so with Castlescape specifically, I kind of settled on three good, um, three good mechanics, if you will, three good um, resources. Um, and those are walls, the ability to build walls for the king, um, the uh, recruits, which are the ways that your guild, which is building this castle for the king, can exert their influence over it and basically cl claim credit for building said castle. Um, and then you have your traditional uh, gold, which is the ability to purchase cards. Um, and once again, it's in my game, it's kind of use it or lose it. Um, you can't save the stuff up from turn to turn because that can increase the mental load and um, really increase the amount of analysis paralysis, especially when you've got that board going on in front of you. Um, and then you take the the different resources that you have, you use them during your turn, you do the best thing you can with them, and then you kind of pass your turn and you can you can let it go for that amount of time. Very cool. And yeah, I think it's always worth asking the question whenever you're going to add another currency is why? Why are you going to do that? Is it going to make sense based on the theme, kind of like in Dune? Uh, or is it going to make sense with the theme, but at the same time, it's going to give too much for players to have to keep track of. They're going to feel like they're doing accounting, having to keep too much uh, too many numbers in their their mind as far as like, well, I've got three of this and four of this and seven of that. And so what can I buy? And then are you also doubling up? So like a card costs both like two currencies. It costs gold and influence or something like that, where now they're having to think through, I've got to have two currencies to buy stuff. Anyway, all that to say, just be aware of the cognitive load that you're putting on your players and make sure it's worth it. Make sure it's it's actually fun versus just simplifying it down and only having two currencies that you maybe have to take a step up and kind of go a higher um, viewpoint as far as like, what is this currency? And so instead of doing, I don't know, gold and another type of resource, maybe it's just money. Like you have like a, a more broad idea. I like the idea of influence because influence could be a lot of different things that kind of fall under that same umbrella. And so I feel like that's something else to, to think about. Have you had any experience with basically simplifying things down and having to come up with? Because I think that could be also challenging to come up with a term that covers like three different currencies that you originally had and now it's turned into one. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately um, there are some other things that go on, at least in Castlescape. And um, I've definitely had to pull those back. Um, I used to have, for instance, a uh, kind of a thing that people had to keep track of called unrest. And um, it's, it's been kind of greatly uh, simplified in the game because it was just like one of those things that I started out with. And uh, another thing to kind of keep in mind when you're designing a deck builder is a lot of times you come up with these ideas that seem great at the time, you incorporate them into the game, and then you reach a point where hopefully you have that reflection like, wow, this is not adding anything to this game anymore. 
It's really just making it more complicated, more cognitive load. I'm losing uh, playtesters who are playing this game and they're, they're just like not able to handle it or they're forgetting to do certain things during their turns. So um, you really have to kind of keep that in mind when you're designing one of these games. Yeah, absolutely. Let's keep talking in these kind of terms as far as like layout on the cards and UI and where to put these currencies, where to put special abilities, where to put art, all that kind of stuff. Tell me what you've learned, what you've found to be like best practices as far as card layout and the overall design, graphic design of the cards and of the game in general. Yeah, so um, something that uh, is this is kind of one of those overlooked areas when you you think I'm going to design a board game. You think, um, all right, I've got this really cool idea where these people are going to do this certain thing and it's going to be great. Everyone's going to have a great time. Well, if you can't convey that properly on the card that is in the person's hand, then it, it doesn't matter if your idea is awesome because they, they really need to be able to look at that card, understand what it's saying almost at a glance, and then be able to use it for their turn to do their thing. Um, what that also really helps with is keeping player turns down, uh, like in terms of time. Uh, you really want to, um, especially when you've got a, a game where you're waiting for everyone else to finish, you want to make sure that uh, UI, UX sort of thing, the card design and layout, really lends itself to people being able to take quick turns. Um, so some of the things I've learned uh, during the design of Castlescape is that um, you really have to kind of think out, all right, I've got all these cards in my hand. I don't want to have to like pick up every individual card, read all the text on that card. I should hopefully be able to find it at a glance, what that card can kind of offer me um, and where, uh, like how I can kind of plan it out for my next turn. Um, so one thing that I tried to do for uh, my game is that I put um, what is traditionally in like a tableau game. Um, I tried to put banners on the left-hand side of my card um, because uh, not to exclude left-handed people, but generally when you, you hold your hands or hold your cards in your hand, you spread your cards um, and you can see the left side of all of the cards. So I wanted to add banners to that so that you could see at a glance, all right, this card gives me X gold. This one gives me two recruits. This one gives me three walls, something like that. Um, and then the cards might have additional information on how to play them or um, additional effects that they offer, but you should be able to plan out your turn for the most part. All right, I have five gold for my next turn. Let's look at what card I might want to buy. And that can also lend itself to um, lowering the amount of time that players kind of uh, have uh, during their turns. Um, additionally to that, you, you have to think about, um, after I've played these cards, what's going to happen to them. So um, I have uh, kind of... Um, unique mechanic in Castlescape where there's a uh, an area of your player mat called the back alley. And it's basically where these scheming guilds, uh, whenever they do something uh, underhanded or sneaky or whatever, it goes into their, their back alley instead of just being normally discarded. And there are effects on the card called back alley effects that mark, all right, this person did this bad thing. So they're going to get some infamy for that. If you're familiar with Clank, it's uh, kind of like Clank in Clank. Um, the, the little cubes that go into the bag that eventually get drawn. Um, so in, in my game, the players get infamy. If you do really bad things, there's this thing called corruption. Um, ultimately, I ended up lining those up on the bottoms of my cards so that I could stack them, um, just spacing them out maybe quarter inch per card, um, in my back alley, and I can count up those effects quickly because they're counted up and tallied up and then applied all at a single time. Um, so that sort of thing, just when you're designing and laying out your cards, you want players to be able to see the information at a glance. You want to make sure that you present information. Um, if, if you are, for instance, building a Tableau game, it's good to have all of your stuff to the same side of the card and have it all lined up properly so that you can at a glance, see everything. You don't want to have to be picking up cards and moving them around and uh, doing all of that in order for players to actually be able to use the cards in their hand. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. All right, real quick, I want to circle back around to what we were talking about a little bit ago as far as experience, the overall experience that deck building is providing for your game and talk about how do you connect the mechanism to the theme and to what players are doing so that it makes sense. There are a lot of deck building games that doesn't really make sense like why why do i have to wait to be able to use a kick 
to use a punch? Like, what is, why? Like, I don't, it doesn't make sense as far as, like, in my head, the idea of, like, that being the mechanism that leads me to playing the game in a certain way. But then there's some games that makes a lot of sense. I was actually working on one uh, a while back when I was uh, foolish enough to try to do a deck builder. And like you said, it's a massive undertaking, and I learned that pretty quickly. But it was a game about plants. And basically, the idea is that, you know, you have seeds, and then you need water and sunlight and all these things. And then as the plant, as it's going to grow, you're basically buying cards and then you put them into your discard pile and then that represents the amount of time it takes for the apple tree to grow and for the you know the apple tree to bear fruit things like that and it was really interesting because it it made sense and so i feel like there's certain themes that really just go hand in hand with deck building so let's talk about those and and just your overall opinion on how in the world do you tie deck building to the experience yeah so it's Unfortunately, it's kind of on a game by game basis, right? So for yours, it makes a lot of sense to have that that theme really tied to the plants, maybe how long it takes to grow. If you water them or something, it might take a, a while. You put that, um, you wait for, I don't know, your rain barrel to refill. I don't, I don't know what your game was about. I apologize. But um, it's really interesting to kind of take uh, those mechanics and try and put them into the game. Now, I will say, I, I personally, it took a lot of effort and time and kind of finesse to figure out what worked and what didn't. So, um, for for instance, um, we're all about building a castle. Building a castle takes time. Um, if you're doing something like, uh, like I mentioned earlier, you're scheming, you're putting cards in your back alley. Um, I have a, a kind of, um, I have a mechanic in my game where those all those things, uh, those I kind of took the uh, skeletons in your closet approach, where even if you do something evil or you do something where you're scheming, um, you're not going to be penalized for it immediately. Um, you're going to eventually uh, be penalized for it. But before that happens, you might be able to manipulate it in some way. So you have to find ways that it, it works for your individual game. Um, I think that uh, Dune, once again, did a, a great job with certain parts of this. Um where you you have um, the ability to recruit troops, but kind of like on cooldown, you have to um, spend time building up that that kind of ability to recruit those troops again, spread the word, pro- like uh, propaganda, whatever the case may be, ferrying those troops to the planet uh, to contest it. Um, I, I think they did a great job. Um, I've tried to do a great job in my game. Um, and I think that it, it really is something that you kind of have to finesse on. Yeah, I think it's also just worth thinking through. Does this make sense? Does this make sense? Is this Absolutely. the kind of mechanism like you're saying? Building makes sense. Building takes time. It takes. Uh, it, it costs money, and all these ideas of okay, I'm gonna buy the card that's in the middle of the table and it's going to go into a, a pile and eventually it's going to come back out. And that represents the amount of time it took for it to be built. And it might be a little bit shorter or a little bit longer than I hope. But at the same time, that's just like building a house, building a castle, anything like that. Or what I was working on, plants take time to grow. It takes a while to harvest fruit or different vegetables and things like that. It makes sense. So I think just taking a step back and asking the question, does this make sense And even if it doesn't, Star Realms has proven that it doesn't necessarily matter. You can still make a whole lot of money just with the mechanism anyway. And so, but at the same time, you want your game to to make sense thematically if that's what you're going for. If that's the experience you're going for, try to make it all make sense. But uh, let's go back to playtesting. One of the issues with these games is a lot of times they're massive in just the number of cards. You might have 300 cards, 500 cards eventually in the finished product. And if you're going to playtest that, that is a monumental task. So what... Would, would you say, have you learned as far as like how to speed up playtests where you don't have to sit down and create 500 cards just to be able to get the game to the table? What are some ways that you can basically playtest on like a micro level or you're only playtesting you know, smaller pieces of the game or smaller versions of the game? What have you found works really well? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And um, I think a lot of people struggle with this. I know when I started creating cards, uh, it was it was literally I sat down with an open spreadsheet, an open Excel spreadsheet, and I just started typing. I was like, oh, this would be really cool or this would be really cool. And after about, I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes of typing out all these random cards and random ideas, I was like, okay, there is literally no way I can test all of this. First of all, it's going to take hours and hours to write all of these out by hand on cards. I have no idea what the value should be. I have no idea what what any of these uh, effects should be, how powerful they should be. So I would highly recommend um, if you're testing out a, a new engine, a deck builder, whatever that case may be, 
um, highly recommend that you take the time to make a few cards first. Um, what I tried to do, at least for my first couple playtests, is I just made like some standard cards that weren't very flashy, they weren't special, they weren't exciting in any way, and I sat down and I played with those. And once I had kind of worked out the kinks with those cards, I kind of moved on to the next thing. Now, a few times in my development process, I, I jumped way ahead and I tried to put in a lot more cards. And every time I had to step back and be like, okay, that was too many cards. Let's take it back. Let's let's just introduce a few new t things each time. Um, and maybe you dive in, maybe you get really lucky um, with adding all those cards. But I'd say for the most part, for most people, myself included, it helps to take it kind of a bite at a time. And um, at least for for Castlescape in particular, I, at one point I had designed a lot more cards than are currently in the game. I had to eventually, so I, I there was this whole scaling up where I found a whole bunch of cool mechanics that I could add in. And then eventually I had to kind of scale it back down to a more manageable level um, so that you you have some consistency um, not only when you're playtesting, because that that is important for you to be able to see what you're doing um, and how those cards interact during playtesting, and you want to be able to um, check all of that. Um, but you also just want to make sure that your game isn't completely um, <laughs> completely crazy the first go around. Um, if your game takes off, does well, um, then you can always add expansions. You can always add those additional mechanics and things back in. But um, another thing I would really just say is you want to make sure that when you're designing one of these games, you just want to um, design cards that are not going to completely overwhelm people the first time they play. Uh, I did that with several things um, right off the bat. I, cards with like uh, <laughs> the amount of text on specific magic cards. Like I, it, for anyone who's played that, it, you can sometimes get some crazy cards with tons of text, tons of like meaning, keywords, all of that. Um, I had a number of those off the bat and uh, something else to just keep in mind while you're doing that is not only is it a lot to um, understand what everything that the card does, it also takes time to read it. So like when it's in the market and when players are considering, do I want to purchase this card or not? They might stare at that card for 30 or 45 seconds and they'll be like, okay, I think I get it. And then everyone does that on their turn. Everyone's slowing down the game. So um, I, I recommend when you're, you're play testing this, start small, go get, get uh, more complicated as you get more comfortable with your engine, um, but don't just go straight to the end of it. Yeah, I definitely agree. Another thing to always just keep in mind from the product standpoint is the more cards you have probably means the more art that you need, which is going to increase the cost. It's going to make it potentially harder to get published or for you to publish it yourself. And so to have the, the kind of product viewpoint as well as you're designing the game so it doesn't get out of hand and it doesn't become this thousand card gigantic thing that's going to cost way too much to bring to market. It's going to cost way too much in the art and graphic design side of things. That's also just something to be aware of. And so let, let's keep going down this track though. Let's talk about balance. You've been playtesting it a lot. You've been trying to figure out like which cards work and which cards need to be brought down a little bit or brought up a little bit. What system have you used or maybe multiple systems that you've kind of played with and tried to figure out the best one? As far as balancing the cards, making sure that nothing is like too overpowered and nothing is too underpowered and everything is kind of, you know, you have multiple strategies to win. There's not just like, oh, you've got to do this to win. Otherwise, you're not, it's not going to happen. Tell me about your system. Yeah, absolutely. So um, when you're first designing the system uh, for pretty much any game, uh, what I'd probably recommend doing, if you're comfortable creating a spreadsheet or using just a simple uh, math formula, you can kind of sit down and you can say, all right, I think that if this character, for instance, has two attack, two attack should cost me one to purchase. And if they also have two health, that should cost me another one gold to purchase. Um, and then if we add this special effect, maybe it's it's double strike or something. Um, if I add double strike to the card, that should cost another two gold. So already, if you've got a two cost uh, or a two health card, two attack card with double strike, you might have a baseline value of four for that card. Now, there's there's other things that can kind of feed into that. And part of that um, kind of comes down to playtesting, like, 
if the person who buys this card generally always wins, maybe you need to revisit that formula. Maybe you're not considering how those numbers might interact with one another. But at, at a very basic level, you should be able to look at something and say, all right, if this card allows me to draw another card, that, that cost for the ability to draw another card should be two gold. And then if I also want this to give me the ability to purchase or to place two walls on the game board, that's another two gold. So this card probably starts at four gold, something like that. Um, and once you've, you've started playtesting, you'll, you'll kind of get a hang for, all right, this, these types of effects, if they're on the same card, you probably don't want to um, cost them so much, or you might be costing them too cheap. Uh, and you really have to kind of look at those sorts of interactions. Um, and in a deck builder, that's especially crucial because um, it, it can really blow out of proportion. If you're playing your hands and you're, you're realizing that, oh, wow, <laughs> these two effects together, um, I thought they were only four, but man, these should really cost something like seven or eight or nine gold in order to purchase this card. Um, the other thing that you have to kind of keep in mind, um, and this was at least kind of uh, something I didn't figure out until fairly far into the process, but um, you also have to consider when players can purchase those cards. So for a deck builder, you, you, you start with a basic deck, right? The basic deck has a certain amount of gold in it. Um, in Dominion, I believe you start with, uh, it's either, I think it's seven gold. So on average, you should have three and a half gold per hand, something like that. So you can kind of cost your cards that way and say, all right, if, if they're going to have that much gold, I should probably make some of these starting cards cheap-ish so that maybe they can purchase one or two of them during their turn. You don't really want them to have a turn where they can't use the gold in their hand um, because then it, it's one of those feel-bad moments that I was talking about earlier. Uh, in addition to that, you want to really take um, how much gold they have Plus, you want to look at how much they can get by the end of the game. So let's just say you have five cards in your hand, and you, if you buy all gold cards, let's say by the end you could have five uh, plus two gold cards instead of plus one gold cards in your hand. So you, have ten, you can have up to ten gold in your hand. Um, it's unlikely that you'll actually see that, but you should know at that point, hey, I can't have 11 or 12 cost cards because they're literally never going to be able to purchase them. And beyond that, you want to look at, all right, this is a card that is valuable at this stage of the game. So let's say it's a card that's valuable in the mid-stage. Um, this allows me to do some certain thing that, that really will help um, around the middle of the game. You don't want to charge eight or nine gold for that card, even if it is theoretically possible for them to get eight or nine gold for that card. Um, because by the time they get that eight or nine gold, it's probably the end of the game. They probably have already passed the point at which the card is useful, and you want to be able to have them get that card at that specific useful portion of the game so you create more of those feel-good moments. Um, so that's another thing you really have to think about when you're designing these cards is just, are they going to be able to get this card when it's useful? Um, you might have to uh, look at things like, all right, I want them to be able to... Um, get extra recruits for their next turn for um, the early turns of the game, because uh, those are good. You might want to look and balance that card around being one or two or three cost, for instance, because they can probably purchase that with their opening hands. If you want it to be an end game, like, wow, they, they finally found a way to get enough gold to get this card, but it's, it's going to be one of those, like you may have time to do it. You may not by the end of the game, if you try to deviate your strategy at all, Maybe you cost that at seven or eight or nine gold so that players have to make really important decisions throughout the game in order to be able to purchase those things. Yeah, those are really, really good things to be aware of. And you also have to think through, is my market going to be static or is it going to be dynamic? And when I say market, I mean the cards available to a player on their turn for purchase. And like Dominion, it's static. These are the cards, and they're going to be the cards the entire game, and that's all you have to worry about. There's no surprises. There's nothing else going to come out. There's no new little decks of cards you can buy. Versus a game where you have a dynamic row or marketplace, like Clank or something like that, where the cards are constantly changing. And the last thing you want to run into is, by some stroke of luck, all the cards that come out are way too expensive, and no one at the table is yet, is yet at a place where they could buy them, and now the game just grinds to a halt, and it's like, what do we do? And so you might need to come up with a mechanism to clear the row 
there might need to be some kind of way to overcome that bad luck edge case. And it's just something to, to be aware of. And then also as far as like cards that are OP, one great thing about deck builders of these kinds of games is that you can make cards that are overpowered. Like it's fine to have OP cards, but then just make them more expensive and you can adjust the levers in a way that it all kind of makes sense. As long as a player can't get this like game winning card for two gold, you know, that's fine. Make it 10 gold make it almost impossible to accomplish that way. When someone does get it, when they create a combo, they create an engine that then is able to purchase that card. If they feel really good because they made it happen. It wasn't because the game just magically put it into their discard pile. It's because they figured out a way to buy that really awesome card. And it doesn't just win them the game outright, but it does give them an advantage, but they created the advantage. Uh, I was talking to Darwin Castle, who's the designer of star realms. He was on the show a long time ago. But what was so great about him talking about his game as far as balance is that he's played it so many times and designed so many aspects of it and just playtested it a million times is that now he can come up with a card and it doesn't even need playtesting. Like he will playtest it, but at the same time, he has just such a gut feeling for the balance of it, for how it's going to work, for the cost, for the ability, things like that, that he doesn't need to playtest it. He knows it's going to work because he's done it so much. So I think that's another thing is, you know, you can come up with a system but at the same time. It's just going to take a lot of playing the game over and over again to get familiar with how the cards interact and what they're worth and valued and things like that. Yeah. And, and it's kind of like the same way that playing a lot of different games gives you an idea for um, how playing a game just in general should feel. Or like when you're looking at designing your own games, we always recommend um, go play a whole bunch of different games, try out different mechanics, try out different things you want to work. It's the same sort of feeling in a deck builder when you're designing it. And one of the reasons that it's such a challenge is that you have to play test it a lot of times. However, once you have done that, exactly like you say, Gabe, I can look at a card now and say, that card should cost four gold because I want it to hit around this point of the game, because um, I want them to maybe, if they get lucky, be able to purchase it in their first few turns. Maybe not. You never know. Um, but uh, they'll probably have to invest a little bit to get it, but um, it'll feel good once they do. So yeah, absolutely. Um, one of those things is just you you have to develop a feel, but you also have to kind of base, start it with a system and then dive in deeper. Yeah, so let's talk about end-game conditions. I feel like the nature of these games kind of lends itself to being able to play forever. You could just keep adding cars and keep building your engine and keep doing this and that and the other, and you could go on indefinitely. And so what are some ways that you can create in-game conditions so that you're ending the game at just the right place, right at the place where players want more, where the game hasn't kind of overstayed its welcome, especially when it, we're talking about uh, debt building games and more now that you have a board now you have extra, extra pieces what are some things that you found in your own game uh, in some other games as far as like in-game conditions that work really well in this context yeah that's a that's a great question and it's it's very easy um to get into that habit i i know the first probably 20 30 times i played a deck builder type game uh it was like oh i this is awesome i just want to keep going on forever um there are some easy answers uh, to that question. And um, so, for instance, in, in Castlescape, the easy answer is um, I you basically stop playing the game when you run out of castle wall pieces. So I have a physical limitation in Castlescape. Um, in other games, you have something more, maybe more like health or um, something like that, where you set an end condition that you can kind of just reach by... Um, playing the game out and and getting some combos and getting some fun things. Um, what I've really found, though, is you don't want to let players get those super awesome, amazing combos a lot of times. So when you're looking at your game, when you're designing it, when you're getting to the end of what you think your game should be, if players are able to pull off their super awesome, amazing combo 15 times at the end of the game, First of all, those super awesome combos generally tend to take a lot of time, so it'll add time to your game. Second of all, if they can do it super consistently and super easily, it'll really just, um, I guess, in my opinion, it, it takes away from the experience of the game because once you've done that thing 15 times, it's like, well, this is no longer special. I did it. It just feels kind of normal. Okay, whatever. Um, I, I really like it if you can pull off those types of things maybe one to three times if you're really lucky in a game. And that's like a good ending point. It's like, wow, I got that really cool thing to happen. All right, let's play another game. I'm going to try this other really cool thing. Maybe I'll come back to that one in the future and I'll try it again. See if I can do it a little bit better. Maybe get it off one more time. Um, but I think that uh, those types of things, those those 
game breaking or like really, really fun combos, if you will, um, really should kind of determine how the end of your game is set up. The The other side of that is um, one thing I learned once again, early on in the whole design process here is it's really fun to draw extra cards for your turn. So like in a deck builder, you're drawing extra cards, you're getting extra actions, you can do extra things. Um, but if you're doing that, especially in a, a deck builder plus thing, um, it adds to the analysis paralysis times 10. So if I've got um, something where I am going to get two or three resources, for instance, that limits my options. Or let's let's say five gold and that you've got a two cost card, a three cost card, a five cost card, um, and then a bunch of others kind of mixed in there. If you get five gold for your turn, you can either get something like pick up both the two cost and the three cost card, or you can pick up the five cost card. Um, and you kind of have to make the decision between that. If you have multiple turns at the end of the game where you've got 10 gold, it really throws out um, like a ton of uh, different options for the player, which feels good. But once again, it adds to that whole time aspect of the game. And you really don't want the end of your game to feel like forever. You want to get to it and then end the game. Yeah, that's a really good point. If you're not careful then the end of the game, like the the last handful of turns can feel like they take forever because there's so much that people can do. There's so many resources that they have. There's so many extra card draws, extra actions. And all of a sudden the game kind of ends on a sloppy note. It ends kind of like, ugh, like this is taking forever. Like would somebody just win already? Can, can somebody just end the game? And that's definitely not where you want to be. You, you want to end the game like 10 minutes before that. And so whatever that looks like for you, of figuring it out as far as playtesting and, and balancing and all that. But that's where you want to end. Like five to ten minutes before, people are like, oh, I'm tired of this game. Because what you want is the game to end on a high note when people are playing these really cool combos and cool stuff's going on. And then the game ends like, oh, man, it ended just, uh, if I had just one more turn. Like, that's where you want people to be. Oh, I just needed one more turn, and then I would have done this or that. Because then a lot of times they're like, hey, let's play again, as opposed to going, no, that's enough. I'm, I'm a little bit bored of that and, and dragging on. So always leave them wanting more. Now let's look towards the future. When it comes to deck building plus, what are some things that you feel like are left to be explored? What are some games that maybe you would want to play uh, that take deck building and then add some extra things to it, add some extra tokens or maybe miniatures or boards? What are you thinking? Like, what do you wish people listening to this show would design so that you could play? Uh, please make me a Twilight Imperium that's a deck builder. <laughs> um, I, I love that game. Uh, I think it's it's amazing. Um, and for those of you who don't know what Twilight Imperium is, uh, it's it's kind of the the cult classic. Uh, six players, eight to ten hours of uh, gameplay. It's awesome. It's epic. Tons of negotiation, everything. Um, but it it really uh, can drag out, and most people can't um, commit to that kind of time period. Um, but I love that awesome like epic feel. Uh, so I would love to see like a, a space themed, maybe empire building style game, maybe um, 4X or something like that. Um, I've seen uh, so far, I've, I've basically played uh, Clank, which which is kind of like you move your guy around on a board, but it's it's um, that's a fairly simple adaptation to a board. You've got um, Dune Imperium that I've referenced a couple times, which is worker placement. You've got mine, which is area control. That's kind of how you build the castle and uh, kind of claim credit for building it is is uh, area control. Um, uh, but I would love to see some like 4X exploration. Um, I know that uh, they just came out with, um, what is it, tactics. Uh, a, there's been a few tactical uh, miniature games lately that I've seen, which is also uh, a really cool adaptation of this. Um, I haven't had the chance to play any of those yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, so I, I'd really like to see people start to mix this with a lot of different, a lot of different themes, a lot of different uh, kind of uh, mechanics that you can see, and and you can, I think you can try a lot of different things. It, they might not all work. Uh, there's definitely going to be cases where you have to look at, all right, is this, are players going to have fun when they play this game? Um, but I would love to see people take these types of themes and run further with them. Um, it's, it's really an exciting space in my opinion, because it, it hasn't really been fleshed out a lot. There are probably 10 or 12 games that I can think of, like totally just think of, not even that I'm familiar with, um, that are really in this deck builder plus genre. And I, I'd love to see more of them. 
Definitely. Also, while you were talking, uh, the game Eldorado came to mind, which I believe is a Reiner or Knizia game, and it's deck building and it's a race where you're playing cards and you're trying to be the first player to get through the jungle and to get through all these different terrain types and win the race. So that's another way uh, of doing it. Yeah, there's some really cool things uh, left to be explored. And again, I still want a farming game where I am using the sun and rain and time and this deck building mechanism to create a little little harvest and a little farm. And I don't know. I think it could be a lot of fun and have your little board and have your little tiles and things like that. So that, if somebody that wants sounds to design, awesome to me. <laughs> yeah. If somebody wants to design that one, I will definitely play it and uh, maybe I'll publish it. Who knows? But uh, anyway, Josh, this has been excellent. Let's, let's do closing thoughts. What would you say to someone listening to this who maybe they've been designing a deck building game? Maybe they've been feeling a little bit overwhelmed. Maybe they've been listening to this and thinking, oh, that's something I should, I should try. What would be your encouragement to them? Yeah. Um, so, as I've kind of uh, hinted at, it takes a lot of work, but um, it is doable. Uh, I have finally kind of reached the uh, the end of the road, as it were, in in terms of the journey, at least for uh, this this particular version of this game. And um, you can make it through. Uh, it take it is a slog fest. Like you really have to you really have to go through. You really have to keep working at it, keep um, powering through. But it is. Uh, worth it in the end. It is really fun to be able to see things that you've um, thought of, that you've kind of uh, had ideas about, um, and see people's faces light up there when they're like, oh, oh, that's something. Oh, this is interesting. Wow, that's a cool card. Um, oh, this is awesome. So like, it, it's really encouraging when you finally make it to that point. And also, when you're designing a game like that, and you're playtesting it, keep your eyes out for those types of interactions. Because a lot of people, you you kind of, um, one of the phrases we like to use is, uh, find the fun in your game. Watch people's faces, w- listen to their interactions, um, watch what happens as they're playing the game. And they usually will tell you where the fun parts are in your game. So you can do it. Um, <laughs> I, I encourage you, if you're already on this journey, um, don't necessarily give up, but ask yourself some questions about whether what you're doing makes sense. Ask yourself if there's parts of it you can take out um, because you're, you're already trying to take deck building and you're trying to add something to it. Um, that's, that's hard to do, but you can do it. Uh, so, yeah. Very cool. All right. You got Castlescape up on Kickstarter right now. Give me the two minute elevator pitch for that one. Yeah, absolutely. So Castlescape is a two to four player uh, deck building area control game where uh, the players take on the role of guilds that have been contracted by the king to build him a castle that is worthy of his magnificence. Um, However, none of you can agree on how you want to do it. So you uh, take time uh, kind of scheming against one another, doing some underhanded deals and uh, basically trying to claim the credit for building the castle uh, for yourself while throwing everyone else under the bus. Um, so, it, yeah, the basics of the game are you're, you're building a castle on a game board. Um, you're, it's got a lot of uh, kind of abstract feelings to it. You're, you're placing walls on a game board. Um, it's been kind of related to uh, Dominion, Carcassonne, and some people also say it feels like chess or like Go on the game board. And I really tried to focus on giving players that ability to have heavy interaction um, with each other, but without making it um, direct conflict. So there's a lot of indirect conflict in it as well. Um, so that uh, it's not like a, a, I tried to take out as much kingmaking as I could. Um, so it's uh, really fun. I really enjoy it. Uh, a lot of my playtesters uh, lately have really been enjoying it. And um, I hope you will too. Awesome. Well, Josh, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you joining me here on the show. Good luck with Castlescape on Kickstarter and everything else you got going on right now. Yeah. Thank you, Gabe. Uh, Same to you. And uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?